Let's just raise our hands to Jesus right now. Let's just raise our hands to heaven.
Pray. 
Darkness is passing away And all that remains Is the light Oh, it's the light Oh, here's the light Here's the light Can you feel the freedom? Can you feel the freedom? Give him a shout of praise I am your son. I am your daughter. Just give him praise. Thank you for the body of Jesus. Woo. Man, there is life in Jesus. And that's where the Father put us. Oh, Jesus. Father, make us so not content with anything but being in the center of the flame. Father, we just draw in right now, Father. We just thank you, Father. We thank you that in the center of the flame is where you've placed us, Father. Where we could burn with you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. His praise glorious, glorious, glorious. For His name is glorious, glorious, glorious. We make His praise glorious. Shout his name, shout his name, 
Father, make us burn to intimacy again. Let the whisper of God grab a hold of your soul again.
So uh, I think we got a hungry crowd here today. That's good. So why don't you guys welcome Bobby Connor back up here for us. God bless your heart. Tell me about this thing. What is that? That's called a box drum. A box drum? Oh, man, I'll tell you what. That's pretty wild. I ought to be able to play something like that. Just... Set on it and beat on it, you know, well, that's good. I used to have a lot of CDs on my uh, book table, and people said, uh, do you sing on your CDs? I said, nah, church doesn't go that deep into tribulation. <laughs> no, don't, don't sing. When I do sing, occasionally I'll sing, but I sing like Louis Armstrong. Well, hello, darling, don't look and smell. You know, but I very seldom ever get any requests. They, nobody ever comes up and says, Bobby, would you sing? They go, uh, you know, well, glad you'll be here. I really mean that. It, 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 Psalms 118, it said, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Say it. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Say it again. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Notice I put a little bit of emphasis on it. Guess why? All the money in the whole wide world compiled together could not buy, buy back one single second of yesterday. It's gone. It's history. It'll never be lived again. And if you've studied the Bible, the Bible says, boast not yourself of tomorrow. You have no comprehension what one day will bring. So we need to learn how to live in the now. I love the little word now because, listen, we get to travel all over the earth. I find so many people, they're, they're, they're paralyzed almost by the past. Oh, if I could have lived in Branham's day, if I could have lived in A.A. A. Allen's day, if I could have lived in Wigglesworth's day. You didn't. You're living when? Now. So I love the word now. It, it stops that paralyzation of the past, and it barricades the pathway to the future because some people say, somewhere out there, a mighty move of God's going to fall. Remember? Now, I love now. It barricades the pathway to the past, blockades the pathway to the future, and traps us in the present. We need to move with God now, don't we? Say now. now. Oh, boy. God wants to do Hebrews 11.1. 1. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is what? Substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. I suggest the church needs substance and evidence. We need proof that God's who he says he is. It says in Psalms 115, Why do the heathen continue to say, Where is their God? I'll tell you, they're about to find out where our God is. He's in charge. He's in charge. He told me to tell you this whole thing is his idea. He's not up there going, oh, I never saw that coming. I wouldn't serve a God like that. He's got it all planned out. He finished it before he ever started it. I told you before, he's author and finished. You're not author and oops. You ever started a project and go, oh, man, bigger than I thought it was going to be? God's not that away. He's going to handle it, isn't he? He's going to pull it off. He's going to do his original intent. God's original intent is... For somebody to take over this planet, isn't it? For the people of God to have dominion. Say dominion. dominion. 
and God's going to do that. Well, we're having a good time. Uh, David Hogan will be here tonight, I believe, at the, is it the 7 o'clock service? That'll be fun. Oh, you'll love David. David's a mighty man of God and uh, has a wonderful anointing upon his life that's transferable. I like the fact that uh, you can catch what's on people, don't you? Uh, just to be quite honest with you, the prophetic is more caught than taught. You understand that? I, I was asking the Lord, I said, tell me about some of the things you're going to do uh, in this gathering. He said, number one, I'm going to anoint the mouth of the speaker, but also anoint the ear of the hearer. That's very important. He said, I'll anoint the mouth of the speaker, but I will anoint the ear of the hearer. And when the seed go in, he said, I will guard it and keep the fowl of the air from stealing one single seed. So all the seed that comes into you, God's going to protect it. Keep the fowl of the air from coming by and snatching it and stealing it away. And he said, I will guard over the seed and cause it to bring fruit that will remain. Say fruit that remains. Oh, that's what I want, isn't it you? Well, we're glad you're here. Yes, wonderful. Now here, you know, I was thinking about this. The Lord said, uh, you know some of the things that are bombarding my people? I said, uh, well, I do, but I said, what's on your heart? He said... They need to understand what I think about them. Because most people I know of that gets in deep depression, they forget what God thinks about them. Here's what they think. They think, well, nobody cares about me. I'm not as important as him or her. Nobody really understands me. And, and did you know it's a big lie? Here's what it says in the Bible. Psalms 139, verse 16 and 17 and 18, it says... God's thoughts towards us are as numerous as the sands on the seashore, and his thoughts towards us are continuous, and they're weighty and heavy. That's what it says. He says, my thoughts towards you are precious. And he used the word for glory, weighty kebab, weighty, valuable. So God thinks about you. He thinks about you continuously. And he's got good thoughts. Jeremiah 29, 11. Have you read that? Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, I know my thoughts I think towards you, declares the Lord. Thoughts of your success, not your failure. My intent is to bring you to a good end, not a dismal demise. So I'm a realist. I really believe the Bible means what it says and says what it means. So I was reading Jeremiah 29, 11. I know my thoughts I think towards you, declares the Lord. I said, hold it, stop. Hold it, time out. That's time out signal. Time out. You said you think about me, what do you think about me? And he answered me just like that. My question to him was, you said you think about me. My response to him was, what do you think about me? Now, you ought to be interested because whatever he thinks about Bobby Connor is precisely what he thinks about you. Exactly, precisely what he thinks about you because he's no respecter of persons. Whatever he thinks about me is precisely what he thinks about you. So I asked him, you said you think about me, what do you think about me? Now, here's what Jesus said. He said, I think you're more beautiful than a flower. I said, God, I don't know what it means, but it sure felt good. <laughs> I think you're more beautiful than a flower. I said, I need some insight to that. And here's what he said. Consider the lily. Solomon in all of his regalia was not adorned as one of these. Now, could Solomon get his stuff together? Woo! Solomon could pimp out, guys. Listen, I mean, listen, he could hook it up, man. Here, did you read 1 Kings 10? Say it, 1 Kings 10. It says the queen of Sheba made her journey to Solomon to see if it was really true what she heard. 
And it says in your Bible, when she saw how Solomon dressed himself, how Solomon adorned his house, the house of God, how he prepared for his servants, how he made his way up into the house of God, it says in your Bible, she was breathless, took the breath from her. It says in your Bible that every year Solomon got 26 tons of purest gold into his treasury besides what the merchants brought. I mean, he had some stuff, didn't he? And so he could get it all together. So Jesus said, consider the lily. Solomon in all of his regalia was not adorned as one of these. So I said, boy, I like that. So he thinks we're beautiful as a, a flower. So I said, what else do you think about me? <laughs> now remember, whatever he thinks about me is precisely what he thinks about you. So he stunned me. He said, I think you're more valuable than a bird. <laughs> Felt really good again, but had no insight. I said, Lord, I need some clarification on that. I said, it feels good and woozy, but I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, consider the sparrow. It doesn't have to toil and spin. Your Father in heaven tends to it. Are you not more valuable than a bird? So do you understand both of these? Started with the little word consider. So I looked up the Greek word consider, strongest word in human language for focus. Consider, said every ounce of your concentration on this. The greatest consideration any of us should make is the Bible. It says consider him, Christ. Focus on him, Christ. He ought to be the center, the very center of everything we do. Is that right? In him we live and move and have our existence. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, something happened to the earth? It almost obliterated, didn't it? Because everything is held together. By him all things consist. And the word consist is a Greek word where we get super glue from. Cohere. I mean, when he, Jesus died, whew, the whole world almost just obliterated. Isn't that something? Because he that holds it together had given up his life. Isn't that something? Well, well, got a lot of stuff to talk about. <sighs> Wasn't the barbecue good? Did y'all have barbecue? Are you having, listen, we ought to do this again. 5.30, barbecue again. Something different. Oh, man. Uh, well, it'll be okay. It'll be lasagna. That'll be good, you know. I, you know, I've never met a lasagna I didn't like, you know. It's just, I like lasagna. Yeah. I'll tell you what, guys. Let's just cut through the whole crap. Don't go, don't go nowhere to eat where they make you wear a jacket. Have you, ever, have you ever been burnt and you're mad about it? Years ago, my wife, she's here. She talked me into going to an a, a, a eating place away up in Dallas, up in the top of one of those tall buildings. And she said, now, Bobby, you have to wear a jacket. That should have been my clue. So honest to God, she wanted to go. So I said, okay, we drive up, the, I don't know, to Dallas. And so we park the car. Somebody parks the car for us for some loot. So anyway, off we go up the, up the elevator to the place, and we get there, and it's dark. My God, you can't see nothing. Candles burning, and you know, and so anyway, I got to look, and ain't nobody in there but old people. And they're sitting on little chairs. I sat on bicycle seats bigger than them chairs. And so, it's, it's awful. So they brought in them, you can't see nothing. The waiter came with the, what do you call it? The menus. And he said, set him down. He said, do you need anything? I said, yeah, a flashlight, you know. <laughs> Couldn't see nothing in there. 
My God, I'll tell you why. When they're going to rob you, they want a dark place. You know what I mean? <laughs> out on that menu and couldn't pronounce nothing on it. Avoy, c'est va. I mean, listen, they stuff on there. I, could, I didn't know what it meant. I like when you go to like Waffle House. They got pictures of it, you know. I mean, listen, if you're getting smothered and covered, you see it. You know what I mean? This place didn't have just French words. I like French words. They can be cussing you. It sounds like make mine a double. You know what I mean? Anyway. Well, anyway. Now, let's get back to this place. I'm sitting there in a jacket perched on a little per thing like a pigeon. I mean, the waiter, he's lighting his loafers, if you understand what I mean. He sashays up. I know it. I know that's not politically correct, but it's biblically accurate. So here's what happened. My wife says, I'm having a salad. I thought, Salad? I didn't drive two hours, put on a coat, ride up the elevator, get in a dark room to eat a salad. So I thought, well, I'll outsmart the deal. So I'm looking. And so I looked over here at the price. So I figured if you got the highest price, you'd get the most food. Doesn't that, you know? I thought they'd sell it by the pound maybe. So anyway, I looked over there and I couldn't pronounce what it was. But I said, That's, I'm, uh, she's having this salad and I'm having, I just pointed at it, I'm having this. And he says, excellent choice. And fluttered off. And I'm sitting there, it's dark, you, candles burning. It's crazy in there, man. Now, I'll, I'll tell the whole story since we're in into it. The only light that came in the whole room was this chick. Some chick comes out of a door over there and the spotlight falls on her and she sashays through there, man. She's busting a move, man. And she comes swirling around the table and she's spinning around like this. And she goes, what do you think? I go, about what? <laughs> she was a model modeling clothes in an eating joint. Is this true? So this skinny little chick, she swirls around the table a time or two and throws a little deal on me. And so she said, uh, you know, so I thought, well, since it's kind of girls' night out, I said, uh, how much is it? She said, $13.95. That's what she said. I remember $13.95. I thought, you know, for a sweater and a skirt, that ain't too bad. You know, less than 15 bucks, you know. So I told her, I said, listen, are you sure $13.95? She said, yes. I said, listen, for both? She says, yes. It was $1,395. And when I, I said a few choice, you know, I said, no, we're not interested, you know. But she, so she dances off to some other table. And in a moment, here, come, here they come. They come in with our food. And so help me, God. Carolyn's salad, listen. I fed horses less than that. you never seen such a salad. He pulled the lid off of that. Boiled eggs, sliced turkey. Good Lord. It, it was massive. And I thought to myself, my God, if her salad's like that, no telling what I've got. You know what I mean? I figured I had half a cow or something, you know. So here, remember, remember our little guy? So he, 
he comes over to the table and he pulls the top off of that thing, that hubcap looking thing. Pulled it off like he's offering the firstborn. <laughs> and he set it down in front of me. I looked at it. Now, I couldn't pronounce it. I'll tell you what it was. Have you ever seen chicken fingers filleted? It was two filleted chicken fingers and three or four green beans with something brown drizzled across it. I said to this dude, hey, I've sneezed more food than that. You remember that? Yeah. So Carolyn says, Bobby, be nice. So he says, it is quite a small portion. And off he goes again and comes back with half of it. Remember that? I told her, so I, I said, when we're leaving here, I'm going to Whataburger. You know what I mean. <laughs> remember that? Listen, I remember the name of the, yeah. And then she says, leave a good tip. I started right, here's a tip, don't eat yellow snow. Hey! You know, you know that's a tip. Pretty good one, I might add. Yeah, well, okay. None of this has anything to do with the message. Not, not a thing. But uh, it all started when I we wasn't having barbecue, you know. But, well, anyway. Okay, David will come, straighten all this mess out this afternoon. Here's the deal. I want to cover two things today. Number one, I've already talked about it. God chose you in eternity past to live in the present to forge the future. And here's what it says. Now, I'm a Southern Baptist pastor. Every Southern Baptist pastor I know of can quote Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But very few Southern Baptists I know of quote Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before ordained that we conduct ourselves in them. So I looked up Ephesians 2.10 in every English translation of the Bible I could find in the whole world. It is a marvelous verse. It's one of the deepest, widest verses in the whole scripture. Here's what it says. One translation says, you're the best God could do to display who he is. One, one, one translation said, you're his stroke of genius to display his God deeds. Isn't that cool? And it's all in that little word, we're his workmanship. It's a Greek word for the final stroke of a master artist. That's what you are. You're the final stroke of a master artist. Have you ever found a verse in the Bible? It doesn't seem like it, it, it dovetails with all the other scriptures in the Bible. For example, remember in the Old Testament, God is the God of the meticulous. Build it this high, build it broad, this wide, this thick. You understand? Everything is precise to the pattern. Remember that? And then you get to the book of James, the book of 1 Peter. It says, to the saints scattered abroad. Scattered like you're just so random, so haphazard. So I thought, that don't sound like the God in the Old Testament, but to the saints scattered abroad. So then it hit me. I thought, I don't understand the word scattered. So I got out those, he, those Greek books, and I started looking for the word scattered, scattered, and I found it. The word scattered is a farming term. Here's what it means. Hand planted in the most advantageous to bear fruit. Hand planted in the most advantageous place to bear fruit. Because a lot of people go, what am I doing here in Wilkesboro? What am I doing where I'm at? You're hand planted in the most advantageous place for you to bear fruit. So I love that, don't you? Do you believe you and I have a propensity to underestimate what God wants to do with us? Answer is yes. 
Now, I love this. I love deer hunting. I know you girls are excited. But I love deer hunting. And in the fall, I go to Texas and deer hunt. And the trees there are over 100 feet tall. And so I go down there and I get into the, the, the bottoms. And they're, they're, it's wonderful. It's quiet. So I'm down there during the fall. And it's cool and brisk. Geese are winging their way south. It is so quiet. You can hear the birds. Can't you hear I can hear them, can't you? It's so quiet, you can hear leaves when they turn loose from the trees. So I'm all camoed up. You can see me, can't you? And I'm sitting under a big old oak tree. I'm sitting down under a big old oak tree, and it's so quiet. You can breathe, and you can see the frost come out of your mouth. It's wonderful. I love the solitude. So I'm there, and I'm waiting on the deer, but I'm just really enjoying being by myself. No cell phones, no airplane hubs, just there. So I'm enjoying the solitude, being alone. And I could hear the leaves when they turn loose and make their way to the foliage floor. And all of a sudden, I hear an acorn from the top of this big, giant oak tree turn loose. I hear it ricocheting, coming down through the limbs. And it hits me right here on the thigh and bounces by my foot. And the Lord said, pick that up. So I picked up this acorn, about the size of a small marble in my hand. And the Lord Jesus said, hey, Bobby, what's that in your hand? I go, an acorn? And he said to me, oh, you only see an acorn. I see a whole forest. See, you and I have the ability and propensity to underestimate what he puts in our hands. Remember the little boy with the, lad, with the lads and loaves and fishes? Remember that? But what is this among so many? Whatever you give to Jesus in the right attitude will be plenty. You believe that? Yes. Say yes. yes. So I want to tell you you're chosen. God chose you to live in this time. Esther 4.14 says what? You're in the kingdom for such. That's my Morgan Freeman voice. Yeah. Yes. Y'all heard that, didn't you? They told me I had a good face for radio. What do you think? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Here we go. God chose us in eternity past. He's got a plan for us. Esther 4.14 says, you're in the kingdom for such a time as this. Every time I quote that verse, something buzzes inside of me. There's one thing that ex ex exhilarates me more than that, that we're in the kingdom for such a time as this. It's this. The kingdom is in us for such a time as this. Isn't that something God has divested kingdom authority and power within you? So I gave you a verse last night, Luke 10, 19. Jesus says, Behold, observe, I give you power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. I like that. Romans 16, 20 says, The God of peace shall crush Satan under your feet shortly. Aren't you glad? Every time the, Bible's, the Bible mentions Satan and a believer, he's always under your feet. You believe that? The Bible says one day we'll look back and say, You mean that? It's who made the whole world to tremble. He's defeated, isn't he? It says Christ spoiled principalities and powers and made an open show of them, triumphing over them in the cross. I'm thankful for that. So that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about timing, seasons, and purposes. That's Ecclesiastes 3.1. Ecclesiastes 3.1 said there's a time, and a season, and purpose for every activity of God under heaven. What does this do? Y'all know? I don't know. I don't know. Apparently, there's something else you plug into that. It's not here, I don't guess. Well, it looks like you could launch the shuttle. Lights are blinking. Did you notice that every time I talk, green lights jump? Hello. Hello. What does that do, do you know? 
I'm what? Going through the monitor. That's what he said. Apparently, I don't have the monitor on because I can't hear nothing. No, I can't. I can, I'm, I'm here fine. This technology is something. You know, my oldest grandson works for a son when he's out of college, and so he was handling the emails and the electronic stuff. His name's Blake. So anyway, here's what he said. I said, Blake, I want you to answer these emails. He said, Papa, preach? You're not still emailing, are you? My God, we just learned how, and it's antiquated. He says, you need to be... FaceTiming, you need to be Instagramming, you need to be, I don't, oh, he called out a whole plethora of stuff. And then he says, you know, he said, you need to be on twi Twitter, Twitter. So I was around a whole big youth group one day and they said, Brother Bobby, do you twit? I go, that could have been me, I'm not sure. <laughs> hey, look at that now. Yeah, yeah. You know? Cabbage and barbecue, you'll see anything could happen. <laughs> I know. Now, here's the deal. A lot of you think, well, if you're prophetic, you've got to be real serious and a proud brow and a long, bony finger. Nah. I read in the Bible, Jesus was the happiest man ever lived. It says in your Bible, God anointed him with the oil of gladness far above all of his brethren. Psalm 1611 says, in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. This Jesus is, I don't like the depiction of Jesus. And, you know, he's, he just looks like he's anorexic. <sighs> That's not the Jesus of the Bible. You know what I mean? Listen, I'm telling you. Well, anyway. So, remember last night I talked to you just a little bit briefly about what a difference a day will make. I want to pigtail on that just a little bit. Psalms 30 verse 5 says, God's anger is but just for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. And it says weeping may last through the night, but what? Joy comes in the morning. So I want, to, I, want to, I want to trail a story. I want us to follow a story that I think is one of the greatest amplifications of a difference that a day can make, what a transitional moment can happen in a brief period of time. And so uh, one of my whole favorite heroes in the Bible one of my favorite guys in the whole Bible is a guy named Jonathan. His dad was a, a, a king, remember that? Now, he's a prince. Jonathan is a prince. As far as all the customs are, he's next in line for the throne. His father, Saul, is a, is, is a, is a king. So it should have been Jonathan's right to take over the crown. But here's the deal. Jonathan recognized that it was not God's call upon his life to be king, but it was David's call. God had chosen David. Now, I love the heart of Jonathan. From that moment on, when he realized he was not the chosen one, David was, his whole life goal, the core of his heart, was to get David to the place God had designed for him. Instead of being bitter and vindictive, saying, Ha! How did this interloper get in? I should have been the man. You understand that? But that's not what he said. He, he began to be one of David's greatest friends, one of his greatest comrades. He began to serve David and serve the call of God upon David's life. Remember that? What a champion. He's one of my whole champions in the Bible, Jonathan. You ought to study about him. You talk about brave, bold, and very courageous, Jonathan was. I question his, uh, his statements and his, his choices sometimes. Remember when all the Philistines were on a high mountain? And Jonathan and his armor bearer was in a little cave underneath, underneath there. And Jonathan, he says, I got me a plan. I got, I got, I got a strategy. 
Now, remember, it says all the rest of Saul's army was away over there, miles over there, past the ravine, scared, spitless. And they, they was afraid of all those Philistines up there on the hill. So Jonathan, his armor bearers, under a little crevice down there, and old Jonathan goes, I got me a plan. And his armor bearer said, what is it? Jonathan said, here's how we're going to take them. We're going to step out from under this, this rocky ledge. We're going to make ourselves visible out there, and we're going to say to them, hey, you! Yeah, you! Hey! And if they say, come up here, we want to show you something, we got them. David, you let a guy come up with a plan like that. I mean, the elders, every text, hey, pastor has lost his mind. We can't follow him one other, you know. But guess what David, uh, Jonathan's armor bearer said, whatever God has put in your heart, I'm with you. You get some guys and gals like that, you can shake a nation. That's a pretty weak plan, isn't it? We're going to step out and they're going, hey, you! And if they say, come up here, we want to show you something, we got them. So Jonathan, his armor bearer, popped out there and he goes, hey, you! Yeah, stink breath. No, I, I added that. I mean, but if, if you're going to challenge somebody, challenge everything about them. You know. Your mama too, you know. You know. The horse you drug in on, you know. I mean, you're going to badmouth somebody. Badmouth them bad, man, you know. Hey, you. And they chuckled and go, hey, you boys come up here. We're going to show you something. And your Bible says that Jonathan and his armor bearer, one sword among them, Climbed up the rocky face on their hands and knees. That's the worst position to be in when you're in a fight. Worst, worst position you can be in is on your hands and knees. So when they got up there, something strange, marvelous, mysterious happened. The glory of God knocked down those soldiers. And old Jonathan, his armor bearer, goes whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Just started a great riot. Remember that? Kill these guys. They started running with such intensity, a dust cloud arose, and the Armies that was way over there in the bar ditch, afraid, goes, my God, let's go. You see? See, a few brave people can energize the cowards. Okay, well, anyway, that's Jonathan. So he, he, here's what he does. He calls, David when, he calls David when David was king and said, now, David, I'm going to help you get to your place of position in God, but I want you to make a covenant and a vow and a promise to me that you'll show me as long as I live kindness and favor for God's sake. And not only will you show it to me, this is First Samuel, but show it also to my descendants. And David said, I, I vow to you. I cut a covenant with you. I will. I'll show you living kindness, loving kindness. I will be, a, I'll be generous to you, be generous to your children. As long as you live, I'm gonna, you're, I'll, be, I'll be protecting you, providing for you, da-da-da-da. This is First Samuel chapter 20. Verse, verse 12, and Jonathan said to David, the Lord of Israel be a witness against this. Then he says, verse 14, while I'm still alive, you shall not only show me the loving kindness of the Lord so that I die not, but also you shall not cut it off from my descendants, from my house forever. And so David said, I'll do it. Now, we go all the way over here to 2 Samuel 9. 2 Samuel 9, David has fought all of his battles, whipped all of his enemies, and there's, there's a quiet time, uh, a kind of a lull. Everything seems to be accomplished and done right. So David is, uh, I think, just having a moment to reflect. And then all of a sudden he goes, oh, my God. I've got some unfinished business. Have you ever been that way? 
Maybe in the heart of the battle you made a covenant with God. Oh God, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you. Oh God, if you'll bring me through this, I'll tithe. Oh God, if you'll do this for my children, I'll do this. See, sometimes it's easy to make a covenant, hard to keep it. You better be careful making vows to God. God keeps them on record. So here's what happened. Look, first, second Samuel 9. We'll just read it. Turn in your Bibles, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I'm reading out the Amplified Version for those of you that might have a different translation, but the message will be essentially the same. Here we go. Second Samuel 9, 1. And David said, in this moment of reflection, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? to whom I might show kindness for Jonathan's sake. And of the house of Saul, there was a servant whose name was Ziba. When he called him, he said, are you Ziba? He said, yes, I am. Ziba was kind of like a scribe, a court reporter, and he knew all the, the chronicles and all, the, all the, the deeds and records of David's kingdom. And so he says to him in verse 2, he said, yeah, I'm your servant, Ziba. Verse 3. The king says, is there still not someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show unfailing, unsought, unlimited mercy and kindness of God? Zebra replied, yeah, yeah. Jonathan yet had a son, but he was lame in his feet. Now, how did he get lame? You remember that? He got lame because when the word of his grandfather and his father being killed, a nurse picked him up when he's five and started running, not trying to hurt him, but trying to help him. And she trips and stumbles and falls. And it says in your Bible, he was lame in his feet. And the word lame there is a heavy word. It means gnarled, twisted, unusable. Somehow it snapped his spine. And can't you see his legs? He's a five-year-old little kid. From that moment on, he's never taken a single step. She was fleeing because when one kingdom overtakes another kingdom, remember that? Most of the time they assassinate every descendant of the previous king. And she was not trying to hurt the little boy but preserve him and take care of him and she's running I don't know how it happened Bible doesn't say how it happened but somehow there's this mishap she falls he's, he's crippled now now we get up the story he's lame in his feet Hebrew says his legs were worthless now years have gone by some think up maybe to 30 years he's no longer a five-year-old little boy but from that moment on all he's ever done is crawl in the dust Somebody drag him around. And he's living in a place. Now, remember, he's the son of a prince. He's a prince, isn't he? He's destined for a throne, but he don't understand it. He's been exiled now all these years down to a place called Lodibar. Nobody in their right mind would want to live in Lodibar. Say it, Lodibar. You ought to say it with a hiss in your mouth. Lodibar. Lodibar means drive barren, uninhabitable. Only people that lived in Lodibar was castaways and thugs and bad land people. You, don't, you know what I mean? People that find trying to hide out somewhere. And he's living there with an uncle, Malkar. Malkar in the Hebrew means salesman. It, it really means shyster, want to make money at any cost. That's the kind of lifestyle that he's, he's in. All these years, he's heard, if this man David ever finds you, he'll drag you in your limp legs, slit your throat, hang you off a gate. See, that's what they used to do to prior descendants. Remember that? What he don't understand is 
David is a man after God's own heart. David is a king with a different heart. So here, here, here's what happens. David is summoning Ziba to go find out where Mephibosheth is. That's the little boy's name, Mephibosheth. Now, I looked it up. Mephibosheth means son of shame, son of disgrace, one that feels worthless. And in a moment, you're going to find out he lived up to his name. Because David says to Ziba, Ziba, check the records and see, is there anybody left of the household? Yeah, one little crippled kid. Where's he living? He's living in Lodibar. And David says, you get an entourage and you go get him. Now, let's get out of this gathering room today. Let's go to the desert of Lodibar. And there's Malcolm's tent. Inside the flap of the tent is a crippled man. Been crippled all his life since a fall at five. All these years he thought, if this David ever finds me, it'll be the worst day of my life. Somebody looks away in the distance. Can't you see the sun rays, the heat waves distorting as you look across the desert? Hot, blistering wind blowing sand in your eyes, but you're shielding from the sun. You see dust, you go, who would be sending an entourage to Lodibar? And sure enough, gets a little closer. Somebody says, that's David's flag. Oh, man, can't you feel their hearts race? What we feared is here. He's come after Mephibosheth. Sure enough, in a moment, Entourage comes right to the tent. Somebody in a very authoritative tone says, Mephibosheth live here. Somebody with a weak, shaky voice says, yeah. Then bring him out. How would you like to be Mephibosheth that day in the back of the tent? All these years he's thought, yeah, if he ever finds me. What I'm living in is horrible. It's a deplorable situation, but at least it's in existence. I don't know about you. Let's just hold time out for a moment. I know a lot of Christians just like Mephibosheth. Oh, they're not lame in their legs, but somebody hurt them. Somebody wounded them. Somebody dropped them along the way. All their life they've been living exile, not understanding all that God has for them. So wounded they're in their own lodi bar, dry, barren, uninhabitable place. I pastored for 26 and a half years. I ran into people like that, hopeless, despairing, despondent, just rejected, so bruised by the past, they can't embrace the victories of the future. Some in this room, some that watch by, you're that away. You go, you don't know what they did to me. That's true, I don't. But I promise you this, whatever they did to you can't be what we did to God. And he says in Ephesians, be kind, tenderhearted, one to another, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. I promise you this, one of the greatest barriers in your heart is unforgiveness. If you'll give that up, you'll step out into freedom. I promise you that. Here's what happens. We're back at the tent now. There's a trembling young man back there. His heart is racing. His mind is spinning. Mephibosheth live here. Yes, bring him out. They bring him out. They put him on a chariot, a horse, some way, and carry him back to David's palace. And it says in your Bible, I want you to see this, verse 6, 
And Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and did uh, he, he did worship. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered and said, Behold your servant, verse 7. And David said to him, Fear not. For I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan's sake, Jonathan your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, and you shall eat at my table all the days of your life. Verse 8, and the cripple bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I am? Do you see a lack of worth? Do you see how crippled and wounded he really is? No self-worth at all. How could you look at me? I'm nothing but a dead dog. But see, David had a different plan, didn't he? Can you imagine? Spent the night in Lodibar, and one day later, he's seated at the king's table. Ooh, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought. And it says this, wouldn't you have loved to have entered that banquet? David says to Ziba, Ziba, I want you to find out everything that should have been his, and I want you to reclaim it, everything that was Saul's, everything that was Jonathan's, and I want you to give it to him, and I want you and your 20 sons to serve him all the days of your life. Say restoration. Remember when the sister gave the word about the nephew? A, a, a verse exploded in my heart, Joel 2.25. I will restore, declares the Lord, you believe God's a God of restoration? So he restored Mephibosheth back, didn't he? And it says in your Bible, he ate bread at the king's table. I'd love to pull the banquet hall door open. There's all of David's royal family. Who's that kid on the end? Boy, you can't tell him apart from the rest of the kids now. You know why? Where's his lame feet? Under the king's table. Say covering. That's what you and I need today. We don't need to limp another day. God wants to bear us up on eagle's wings. You believe that? He wants to restore back to us all that his intentions are. You believe his intentions are better than we could plan? I'll guarantee they are. So what a difference a day can make. I've always loved the story of Mephibosheth. I don't want a single soul living in Lodibar. It's not a place to inhabit. There's places in your Bible you never want to raise your family. Lodibar's one. Moab's the next one. Moab. Have you ever wondered why the Bible spends so much time talking about where people are from? A lot of times people get around people they're comfortable with. Birds of a feather. So we've got to figure out. The company we keep testifies a lot about the things we set for ourselves. You believe it? Yep. That didn't say evil companions mess up good morals. So watch out who you hang with. Well, you know. Nah, watch out. It says, have nothing to do with unfruitful works of darkness. I want us to be separate, clean, and still be fishers of men. You know what I mean? You don't have to become like the fish to win the fish. You know what I mean? Well, good Lord. So it'll be supper time in a little while. Yeah. Yeah. I like them Indians. Honest to God. I'll tell you what happened to me. Honestly, that's one of the reasons I'm in Moravian Falls. Can I tell you how that happened? The Lord said, 
way before you ever heard of Rick Joyner, way before you ever heard anything about Zinzendorf. I was a Southern Baptist pastor down there in Texas, and walls, communist walls fell down, and God says, get your TV camera and go to Hernhut. I didn't know Hernhut Hut. You know what I mean? Never heard of Hernhut. I said, why? He said, because you're told to. So I get my TV camera. I go to Hernhut, Germany. He says, look up the grave of Zinzendorf. I mean, this is, listen, all of his palace was dilapidated, no watchman over it, no nothing, just, I mean, listen, gates torn down, rubble everywhere. So I go to the cemetery way before daylight. I find Zinzendorf's grave, just a little concrete vault like that. Lord said, film that. I said, it's too early. He said, film that. So I'm filming the grave. It's five or something in the morning, grainy, dark. I'm filming the grave. The Lord said, go sit on that rock fence. So I go over there and sit on the rock fence. I hear some steps coming. And so the Lord said, film that. I said, it's too dark. He said, okay. That's me filming. I'm filming. I, and so I'm filming. I hear the shuffling of feet. And pretty soon a little old man, very humped over, very old, very slow, humps, shuffles his way to Zinzendorf's grave, takes the cap off, slides it under his arm like this. And apparently he's praying. I'm filming. He's praying, I suppose. I'm over there. He doesn't even see me. And he stands there for probably two minutes, maybe a little longer. Finishes, puts his cap on, and he starts shuffling back up the trail. This way, Lord said, film it. So I'm filming the little man shuffling off up a trail. And he gets to a kind of a crest. And as he's getting there, the sun comes over the crest and burns him out of the footage. So I said, God, what have I seen? He said, I've, I've sent you here to resurrect this ministry. The Moravian ministry, the Zinzendorf ministry. So I thought, okay. Back to Texas I go. <laughs> Next thing I know, the Lord says, I want you to move to Moravian Falls, North Carolina. I said, okay. I'm up here walking around. Nothing's built up there then. I'm walking around over there where the uh, worship center thing is, buck petting. So there's nothing up there, not even roads, no nothing. I'm, I'm walking like a mountain goat up through there, breathing like a hippopotamus. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, you can't be this fit and not, you know. So off the hill I go, up, up, the, up the hill we go, where the rock is. See, nobody had heard about the rock. Tens of thousands of people heard it. But anyway, so I go up there, and I'm standing there and <laughs> thinking, I'm glad I'm up here. And the Lord said, the Holy Ghost said, go sit on that rock. I said, okay. So I go sit on the rock, just the rock. I'm sitting on the rock. Jesus Christ comes and sits right on the rock beside me. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Not a vision, not a trance. As, as stable as this, only more real. There he's sitting, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He said, I've called you to this land to redeem this land for its original purposes. I said, what is that, Lord? He said, the salvation of the Native American and the protection of the Jews. Then he said, get under this rock. I said, what? He said, get under this rock. I said to him, you can't get under this rock. He said, get under this rock. So I said, okay. So I'm crawling under the rock. If you've been there, there's a ledge under there. I'm crawling like this, and I thought, if I fall off here, break my back, they'll find a buzzer to get me or something, you know. And I'm pushing like that, trying to keep from falling. Something falls off my hand about the size of a small uh, dinner plate. And the Lord said, what's that in your hand? I looked at it. It's a perfect cutout of the state of North Carolina. You couldn't have lasered it out with a laser any better. Rick Joyner saw it and said, put that under glass. That's some kind of a, a sign. But anyway, the, the Lord's plan is to uh, redeem the land for its original purposes, the salvation of the Native American and the protection of the Jews. So I'm, I'm in a, an airplane flying across uh, 
I, I can switch, you know, I can go from Moravian Falls to Alaska just like that. So I'm in Alaska flying in a plane by Mount McKinley, had my head back like that, and I said, Lord, do you have a word for the Indians? He said, yeah, I do. I go into trance, and so help me God, Jesus pulls back an arrow just like that, a flaming arrow. On the tip of the arrow, it's just flaming. He pulls it all the way to his mouth and lets it go. It made a sound, a roar like you couldn't believe. And he said, watch this. The arrow goes just like that. And it starts right here in the chest of a First Nations young person. goes all the way through his chest out the other side. I said, Lord, what says? He says, I am going to set the First Nations heart ablaze for me, and they get to keep their culture, and I detest colonial evangelism. That's what he said. So I tell you what he's going to do. He's going to set his air of love right through their heart. You believe that? Set their heart ablaze for the kingdom of God. That's true. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, I didn't think we were to talk about different groups. Well, that's your fault. Yeah. I mean, when you're redneck, you can talk about anybody. You know what I mean? While we're talking about that, listen, we need more black people here. That's true. I'm telling you, I like black people, honest to God. Now, I'm, you know, I do. I like them. I'm preaching all black churches. I'm telling you, I went to one inch where the president parks his plane, Washington, parks that helicopter, and I got there in this big old, I don't know, big old black church. I'm the only white guy there. It's a Sunday morning. They're all dressed good, good. So I get up there and I start to preach. And I said, mm -hmm. I can't preach here. You're way too white for me. That's what I said to them. They got really stiff then. Oh, man. Stiffen up. I said, no, I'm serious. Y'all are too white. Too white for me. I can't preach in a place like this. And a little old granny over there, I guess maybe in her 80s or 90s, she got it. All little anything she jerked out a handkerchief and here she came glory to God whoa good God these guys up here they've been stiff as a stick Holy Ghost hits them they're down in the floor rolling their ties all ring around their neck had a fit you know what I mean now I like that don't you now I'll tell you one thing I love about black people I love their names what's your name honey Sharana Karuka what does it mean, baby? One that pulls down the mountain, overleaps. You know, they got meaning to the names. Look at us white guys. We name our kids Opie and Beaver. You know, we got to do better, hadn't we? You know? Well, anyway. Yeah. I know. I mean, I'm culturally sensitive, you know what I mean. Yeah. It's, you know, don't worry. Lord told me one time, he said, you amused me, boy. That's what he said. Yeah. I'll tell you how that happened. I, you call it intercession. He called it whining. Yeah. I said, God, why do you make me do so many silly things? I thought he'd cuddle me and go, Bobby, you're a champion. Guess what he said? He said, I've never presented you as stupid as you really are. That's exactly what he said. See? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know it's the truth. Well, a lot of stuff to talk about. Yep. Here's what, here's what God wants to talk to you about. He, he, he thinks you're absolutely awesome. 
Remember that verse, Psalms 139, 16, 17, 18? His thoughts charge us are weighty and precious, more numerous than the sands of the sea. So he thinks about us continually, and he thinks deep. I said, Lord, tell me about that, where it says you think weighty, precious thoughts towards us. And he said, it's contemplative thinking. See, every day of your life, he's planned out. Every part of your life, he can engineer. Even if the devil gets in and causes some havoc, God can engineer it for your good. Remember Joseph? They meant it for evil, but God engineered it for good. And in Romans 8, 28, oh, look. In case I need to take a nap. That's in the Bible. It says, except we become childlike. Isn't that kind of nice? Good Lord. Boy, we had... Wait, my oldest son is 48 now. My God, when we had kids, we had real diapers. They got this thing now, looks like a sandwich wrapper. I mean, when we had them, it's real stuff, man. I mean, pinning the diaper on was a blood sacrifice. Yeah. Ah, oh, Lord. You know, and they. You have to do something with that, man. You, don't, you can't roll that up and put it in the garbage. I'd drop it in the toilet till my wife got home. That's what I'd do. You know. yeah. Hey, I know guys in Texas, they can gut a deer and can't change a diaper. Yeah. Something ain't right about that, is it? You know. Well, anyway. So we got to quit here in just a little bit. But anyway, God's thoughts towards you are contemplative. He said, it's, isn't it Psalms 55, 22? Psalms 55, 22 says, cast all all of your care upon him because he certainly cares for you. And the word care means he, he cradles you and he undergirds you. Now, have you ever found verses that you really love? Here's one, Nehemiah 9.20. Nehemiah 9.20. Nehemiah 9.20 says he gave his good spirit to instruct us. His good spirit to instruct us. And withheld not his manna from their mouth. Every time I read that, it, it, it shocks a verse into my spirit. And withheld not his manna from their mouth. Nehemiah 9.20 gave his good spirit to instruct them. And withheld not his manna from their mouth. It causes me to think of Revelations 2.17. To him that overcomes, I will grant to eat the hidden manna. Now I'm already intrigued. God's got things hidden from us for us. Proverbs 25.2 said it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. The honor of kings to search it out. So we've got to search for the deep man of God. Revelations 2, 17, to him that overcomes, I will grant to eat the hidden manna. Don't you love that God has some secrets for us? Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says, the secret things belong unto the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong unto us and our descendants from now on. See, if you're hungry for the things of God, Isaiah 44, 3 and 4, Isaiah 44, 3 and 4 says, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, floods upon dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your descendants, and they will spring up like willows by waterway. See, if you're hungry and you're desperate for God, your children will flourish. Oh, I wrote a book called, the Lord told me, said, I want you to go up and down the land and, and announce somebody's going to write a book about legacy and lineage line and show people how to break off ancestral curses and how to amplify the blessings of God in their descendants' lives. I did it for four or five years, I suppose. Finally, my wife, nobody picked it up. My wife said, Bobby, I think God's talking to you about writing that book. So I said, Lord, he said, yes. It came like a deluge. 
So I started and got a whole bunch of it done. Then I got busy, pushed the book aside. And one June, Jesus came to me and said, Hey, Bobby, how's your lineage and legacy, legacy book going? I go, oh. And he said, I want you to cancel every meeting you got, separate yourself down to the river house, and write the book. So here it is, Legacy and Lineage Line. It tells about how you can break off ancestral curses off of your family and how you can amplify and intensify the blessings of God. It says in Psalms 112, verse 2, the seed, the descendants of the upright will be mighty in the earth. And it says this, God will bless you and your families and your descendants in such a magnitude, your enemies will see it. They'll grind their teeth together. They'll march away and you won't see them anymore. I'm for that, aren't you? Such a favor of God upon your life to the enemies just, just say, I can't stand this any longer and march out of your life. You, you owe it to yourself to get this book. It tells you how to really, really sow things into your life. It says the upright will leave an inheritance, an inheritance to his children's children. Now, we're not talking about just stocks and bonds and gold and silver. All that's part of it. But the greatest gift you can give them is a good name, a godly heritage. you believe it? That's true. A, man, a businessman got this book. And he came to me months after it, and he said, Bobby, I'd give anything in my, anything I own. If I'd have got this book when my kids were young enough, I said, use it on your grandkids. Oh, I'll tell you what, it, there, there's no way around it. God is a generational God. He's a God of what? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And boy, he'll amplify what's in your life, in your children's life, if you'll allow him. So get the Legacy and Lineage Line book. Say, I will. Now, don't lie, don't lie to me. I'm prophetic. I'll know it, and then I'll have to deal with it. Yes. Well, good. <sighs> Lasagna. Yes. Yes. <sighs> Did I tell you when I was in deep? Well, I shouldn't say that since David's coming. Me and, my, me and a pastor was away down in Mexico hundreds of miles down in Mexico. Now, I don't speak Spanish. I know taco, burrito, <laughs> chihuahua. <laughs> so me and this pastor, this Spanish doctor is way off down in a, a village in uh, Mexico, and, he, and a lady had fixed us a gorgeous stew. Onions, carrots, celery, meat, and I'm homemade tortillas. I am working it over. Now, I can't understand them. They're ablespel, you know. They're talking in their language. And finally, the, the, the doctor goes like that. He looked at me like that. Now, you don't need an interpreter for that. <laughs> Something's going on. I said, what is it, doc? He said, I asked her what we was eating. I said, what'd she say? He said, she said, rat stew. <laughs> rat stew. R-A-T. <laughs> rat stew. And he said, but I asked her, and she said, don't worry, very fresh, just killed it this morning. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but what's the difference between a fresh rat and a stale rat? You know what I mean? So, but the, the, the sad thing about it, it was good until I knew what it was. So, that's kind of the way that lasagna, you know. You know, I read, eat what's set before you, asking no questions. Did I tell you when I was in Mongolia and I asked a question? I'm in Mongolia in a tent 
in the Gobi Desert, 60 below zero. I ain't lying. You don't lie in church. I'm in the Gobi Desert in Mongolia in a tent, 60 below zero. Yep, my wife had sent all kind of clothes. I got my head wrapped up like a turban in some kind of a sweater. I'm cold as I can be. And a little Mongolian grandmother about this tall, about that wide. She's cooking. They cook on horse manure. Yes, they do. That's better than Ezekiel had. Well, anyway. If you ever go camping, don't let Ezekiel cook. Anyway. Here's what happens. Little Ma, she had made us some, she had made these scallops and rice. And so I'm eating it, it's good. I'm sitting over there on a cot in a tent and she's over there. She'd been fixing the food, little bitty thing like that, not a tooth in your head. And so anyway, so I'm eating this scallops and rice and it's really good. And I thought to myself, my God, we're in the Gobi Desert. Where'd they get scallops? You know, deduce. So I deduced that, you know. So I said to the translator, he's about the size of my thumb, rough as a boot. I said to him, ask mama where she got the scallops. Mama's over there hunched over the stove. And so he goes, something like that. Little mama wheels around like that, throws her finger off her mouth and goes, and I'll translate that for you. That guy's so dumb, he don't know nothing. That's what little mama said. Guess what it was? Oh, my wife's holding up a sign that says, reserved. Guess what we were eating? Not scallops at all. You know the things you get milk out of a cow? <laughs> Those things that hang down? It was utterly awful. You know? It, Yeah. Yeah. See, before I knew it was good. Then it tastes like cold rubber. <laughs> yeah. That's good. These TVs are nice. I love, I love this whole place. This thing has a destiny on it. Part of it is what you're doing right now. But like, like they said earlier, they'll have to get out in these fields. There'll be, there'll be meetings in the springs and meetings in the summer where they're all over this place, roving around, calling down the fire of God. I'm, I'm serious about it. I'm serious about it. I'm telling you. The, the Bible says, despise not the day of small things. In the shepherd's rod, I wrote, I wrote, God says, pay close attention to small things. Everything about the, God wants to start small and get really big. Well, anyway, I want to pray for you, okay? I want to pray that you'll lose Lodibar. That you'll step out of your own prison and come to the banqueting table. The only thing holding you in Lodibar is your own opinion of yourself. Remember poor old Medfebosheth? Who am I that you would address such a dead dog as myself? Ooh, you ought to study dog in the Bible. It's a word for a male prostitute. It's, isn't that something? It's a horrible, it's a bad, bad in some light, very bad. But he, he saw himself as a worthless, dead object. That's not who you are. Now, I'm a Baptist preacher, but I almost got to thinking, I almost started believing in purgatory. You might ask, how 
Oh, did you almost get... I'll tell you how I almost started believing in purgatory. The Lord said, I want you to watch TV. I'm not opposed to that. So I got my TV controlled. Truck racing. You know, mud truck racing. The Lord said, no, that's not it. NASCAR, no. Cage fighting. No. Have y'all been to the octagon? Now I'm a lot faster than I look. I can put a rear naked choke on any of you. Cage fighting. Y'all seen that? Listen, I used to do that and didn't get paid for it. Listen some more. Anyway, cage fight. He said, oh, no. Bow hunting, no. I'm, I'm, and he said, that's it. My God. Antique road show. <laughs> Only time I'd ever seen it in my whole life, antique road show. Now, that's two old dudes from England. And they thought, I saw you, I saw it. And so help me God, the day I'm watching it is when this lady brings a box, pulls out a bunch of rags, unfurls this vase out of these rags, and she hands it to this guy. And David, he gets, he, he starts hyperventilating. I thought, my God, get a grip, dude, get a, you know. He's, he's looking at this vase, and he's just losing himself. I thought, dear God, do you know the difference between a boss and a vase? Walmart. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Anyway, this boss was very, very, I said, Lord, what have I done that I've got to watch this? That's the pur purgatory thought. He said, no, I, it's not punishment, it's enlightenment. He said, I want you to watch these two guys. They're the best in the whole world on assessing value to an object. We're trying to get you out of Lodi Bar now. They're the best in the world at assessing value. There's two criterias for assessing value to any object. Number one, number one, how rare is it? 2012, the world reached a population of 7,300,000,000, 7 7.3 give or take a few. Not a single one of them like you. You ought to pull out your pen and go qualify. Rare. 7 billion people and not a one like you. Rare. Second criteria for assessing value. Number one, how rare it is. Number two, what is someone willing to pay for it? Amen. Remember the verse in Peter? You're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain, empty lifestyle, but you are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. So I looked up the Greek word precious. It's a word that means incalculable. Incalculable. So precious, so valuable, so worthy. Gee, you can't even put an assumed value on it. So who do you think you are? You're a child of the king. He says about you in Malachi, when I come to take up my jewels. And I looked up the word jewel. It's a Hebrew word to me, specially acquired treasure. So that's who you are, isn't it? Well, I want to pray for you this time for real. Father, I want to thank you that we're who you say we are. We're not who our own wounds and, 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 and falls and mishandlings have caused us to think we are. You have bankrupt heaven to get us out of Lodibar. Lord, we're running out of that place of bondage. We're going to the king's palace. We're setting our feet at your table. You said you prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And Lord, we thank you that you're going to 
pull people out of bondage today. You're going to set our feet on a higher pathway. We're going to realize that we're something for you, and you have really sown yourself into us. Thank you for allowing us to live in your world. Thank you for all of your thoughts that are numerous and weighty towards us. I pray for your people right now. I come against despondency and despair. I come against a lying spirit that always denigrates, always condemns. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Ghost of God would speak your word into the hearts of the people. Encourage them during this time. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your ministry of encouraging. I thank you like Paul when he was in that ship and all hope that they would be spared was gone. You sent your angel with a message to get the people out of despair. You told Paul, tell them to cheer up. Everything's going to work out good. So, Lord, we believe your message. We declare to these people, cheer up. Gain heart. Everything's going to work out good. Say to your neighbor, it's going to be okay. God's in charge. Tell them again, it's going to be okay. God's in charge. Boy, you know, we talked about angels. I'm telling you, they're, they're here to applaud your response. They're here to re applaud your response of saying, God, you, you're big enough to handle this. God had the audacity to name himself El Shaddai, the God that does for us what we're incapable of doing for ourselves. You know, this is a good thing, these conferences. I know you're calling them a gathering, but I don't care what you call them. Just keep doing them. God said, I'm using these like I used to use seminaries. Training and equipping people. Now, I'll tell you what. God won't let you get away from what you've heard. I'm I'm he told me I'll seal it in their heart. So we had fun. We're off to see the lasagna. <laughs> nah, I'm doing fine myself. <clears throat> yes, sir. All right. Did I tell you when I ate up the guys, the Mennonite guys' lunch? I was off in the Amish country. I don't know, Philip, I don't know where I was. Pennsylvania. And a bunch of Amish people were there. Yeah, I told you I'm cultur culturally, you know, I can fit in. So anyway, a whole, it's a big crowd, several thousand people. It's an 11 o'clock service. So I'm there speaking. And there's this Amish guy out there, you know, with a beard, and his wife had a little white cap on, and he's dressed in black. And I don't know why I said it. I said, hey, what did you bring for lunch? He goes, I don't know. I said, well, find out. So he converses with his wife, and his wife said, they had fixed their lunch, you know. So I said, bring it up here. So he comes up there. I'm in front of, I don't know, 2,000 people. So he's got it in a brown paper bag. So I said, y'all, excuse me. So I unfolded it. Good Lord. Homemade bread. Sliced turkey. Real turkey. <laughs> Real turkey. Sliced turkey, homemade wheat bread, tomatoes, lettuce. So I'm preaching, but I ate his sandwich. <laughs> right in front of everybody. You know, you can talk with your mouth full and still be polite. So I finished off his sandwich, and he's watching. I ate it all up, and I, I got back in the sack. Down in the bottom of the sack, they got a special cookie. I don't know, whoopie pie, I don't know what it is. It's, oh, yes, oh, God. It's got marshmallow stuff in it and baked cookies smushed together. So I got it out. It's all wrapped up. It's about this big around. I could feel the envy. 
But I said, it's too late for that. I unrolled that whoopee cushion or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whoopee pie, I think it is. And I ate that dude in front of the whole people. So I'd eaten his sandwich, his turkey sandwich. I'd eaten his pie. And then I don't know why I said it. I shouldn't have said it. But you know how you say things. You just, I said, man, I'm disappointed. Oh, boy. I said, I thought, sure, there'd be some cabbage in there. Where in God's name did that come from? I thought, sure, there'd be some cabbage in there. 11 o'clock morning service, we finish, we go back. We're coming back at 7. I got there, I opened the door, and at first I thought, demons. The whole room reeked with cabbage. Up there across the front, so help me God, hundreds, hundreds of containers of cabbage. Tupperware, knee deep. I mean stewed cabbage, boiled cabbage. Woo! You talk about clean the colon. Woo! Yeah. Don't ever say, well, I wish we had. You'll, you'll be inundated. Well, anyway. That was often, you know. Hey, stuff up here. I didn't write none of that. So let's, let's, we better, I didn't pray for you. It's David's time to come and get us out of here. So listen, I've had fun. This is my last time to talk to you, but I'll sign your book if you want to. The, who will read this legacy and language line? Will you? Here. There you go.